Hello, this is your host, Paul Harvey at Life, Passion and Business. I realise I put this at the end of the programme most of the time. And I also realise I don't often listen to the end of podcasts. So I thought I'd tell you here before we get started. So the first thing is this podcast is not supported in any way. We have no sponsorship. So if you would like to support us, do check out the Buy Me A Coffee link on this podcast app. And you also find it at the website. Okay, before I take you to the podcast, I want to give you a little bit of a reminder about the power of focus and accountability. This is the one tool that will really get you towards the goals you are seeking, towards the path you want to take. So listen to the end to find out more or check out the link in the show notes. Anyway, let's get you back to the podcast. My name is Paul Harvey, and you are listening to Life, Passion and Business, a podcast born out of my desire to find greater meaning in life at the time when I thought there was none. Since that day, I have spoken to hundreds of people. And what I have discovered is that our story is everything. Because what we do, feel or experience is based on the stories that we tell ourselves. It's time to explore what it means to live a good life. How do we make this experience better? And more importantly, how do we lead the world to a better place? The day that you say, I want to live another 100 years. But if I had to die tomorrow morning... It's fine because I know my life is fantastic, has been fantastic until today. So this is, uh, I think, uh, the, the top where you want to you sit. Not, nothing left undone or halfway there. This is such a lovely conversation with a man who is completely content with his life in what he has achieved. My guest on the show today is an innovator and has always been fascinated by the cutting edge of technology. Roberto Capodieci was born in Italy near Venice and was a natural entrepreneur from age five making and selling stuff to buy more toys. Elementary school bored him so he dropped out and never went back, taking charge of his own education, studying everything from business management to computer programming. He did not attend college officially, although sneaked into some lectures that that particularly interested him. At age 10 he started an electronics and computer club which became a business when he was 14. had to get special permission for that. He started as selling... He started a software house selling thousands of print... He started a software house selling thousands of pirated software... He started a software house selling thousands of pirated computer games. At the time, there was no law to prevent it. And with so many callers to the house and so much cash, his parents thought he was selling drugs. While not true, it did create a reputation which led to a surprising opportunity with law enforcement. The business moved on from pirate software into optical archiving of documents using the first Apple computers. By the time he was 19, he was head of a large company employing 50 people, and he had to employ older people to get the credibility of age. As one so young, he would pretend to be a janitor cleaning the floor so he could listen in to his salespeople negotiating the deal. Our conversation is rich in stories, as he's worked in so many countries, both commercially and as technical support in law enforcement environments. He even knocked on the door of the FBI and asked if he could help. Roberto has had 40 years of business innovation behind him, and it's always been about technology and innovation. It's not surprising he's been instrumental in laying down some of the foundational aspects of blockchain applications, ensuring their relevance and applicability in various sectors. 
His contribution extends well beyond te the technical aspects as it actively educates others, sharing his knowledge through speaking engagements and publications and mentorship. On this show, we get a glimpse in what is possible with de decentralization, how it could protect you from the food on your plate to life-saving medicine. I do find it interesting that he started his business on pirated software, and as an advocate of blockchain, he's at the forefront of preventing all piracy. Let's join the conversation with Roberto Capodieci. I will begin when I was a little kid, I think the entrepreneurial spirit was there from day zero. And uh, I really wanted to create the, the, the business aspect of life from uh, selling toys, rebuying other used toys and reselling, uh, you know, in commerce and then in creating something. So I, and selling I, where did you get that from? I mean, how old were you at the time? I mean, uh, since I was four or five years old, I had this, uh, this thing I remember in school. I managed to buy a small tool and a small uh, metal rope and I was building uh, pins the shape like sunglasses and other things. And I, I had my business in school, already selling even to teachers since I was really little. Um, it is like I'm, I'm really, really fascinated. Like, were you a fan, was your family into business then? Did, they, did you see your family doing it? Well, my father was a manager of a large group of companies on uh, metal. Uh, yeah, but you were four, you're business. four years old. How do you... <laughs> I, I, I think that I learned the value of money way early in my life. I remember having friends that had no understanding of which was the, the value of the money, what you can buy with what amount of money. But I had this idea and the logic consequences <laughs> that, that I need the money in order to purchase the toy that I like, right? And how I get the money, you know, you know, doing activities that, uh, you know, probably bring me money and, and learning so where, on the... Um... Whereabouts in the world was this then when you, when you were doing the, playing these games? I was in Italy, in Venice, uh, the, the the mainland side of, of the city of Venice, not the water side, but, you know, for those that know <laughs> the, the geography of that. Well, everyone so, thinks of Venice as the island, don't they? They don't recognize right, it. Right, correct. It's like there is another piece that is in yeah. land. It is an experience. Even when you live there many years, if you go out with a fresh brain and look at things like a little kid, it's like the first time, yeah. oh, my God, is is an amazing place. Uh, so how long? So you lived in Venice, all your, I guess, through school and life and... Until 18, then I spent 12 years in the United States. I was going back and forward with Italy and business here and there. And then uh, Southeast Asia is now 20 years that I am uh, between Bali and so, Singapore. So what did you study when you, obviously, because you obviously you, you did the, you know, the journey, education, and you made some choices about what you wanted to do in your life at that okay. point. What did you choose? Yeah. Oh, I like the, 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 the question is, what did you study? Because I did study a lot of things from business management, to computer coding, computer electronic architecture. But now as a student in a school, I am a dropout. I drop out in kindergarten. I was getting too bored with Lego and other things, I guess. But in my private life and time, I've been studying everything, yes. Wow. Wow. So you, did you, did you didn't do college at all? No, no, even even high school, I didn't do. I was sneaking in uh, universities to follow lesson. I professor that thought I was a student there, even asked me questions, uh, you know, like this. And I did the whole thing, but no in the See, legal way. Only in, only in Italy could you get away with doing that, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't think in any other country in Europe you could get away with doing that one. Or maybe Spain, maybe, but, but certainly not Germany or those sort of places or France. No, 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 no. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so you start you studied these things, and obviously you went out to get work at some point. I mean, did you fund yourself through this, or 
Yeah, I, I started when I was 10 years old, like a club for electronics computer, which slowly became a business. When I was 14, with the authorization of the court for minors, I opened a company legally and I started the business. It was a software house and uh, implementing applications, some innovative stuff at the time you consider. Oh. I, I look 25, I'm 50 years old next year. So uh, we're talking about 35 uh, years ago plus. Yeah. And uh, I was doing optical archiving of documents uh, for managing the documents inside the network. Uh, we were using the first Apple computer. They were there. Apple Italy loved us. It was giving us free computer. Then also implementing video games. So did a lot of uh, practical experience in managing a business, uh, you know, learning with hands-on, you know, from spending one day to where to put the logo in the fax they're going to send with a, you know, proposal uh, to to the managing things with the correct delegation of the correct people. But by age 19, I have almost 50 people working uh, with me. So it was quite a, a large company doing several different things. Wow. And Italy, was that... That must have been quite unique in Italy at that time, I would have thought. Yeah, yes. Yeah, that's also, it, it, it was double-faced. On one side, it gave me fame because I was very young and I was an entrepreneur. On the other side, uh, many clients will never give an important project and job in a company managed by little kids. So sometimes I hired the older people to talk with the client. I dressed like a janitor, start cleaning the floor and listening at the conversation between the client. There was a certain mystery always this business owner that never shows up. On the other hand, I had a very nice Mercedes SL imported from the United States. So when I arrived in a big company for seeing sure they see me arriving like this, sometimes they will sign without even reading the contract, which is silly on their side. But, you know, sometimes... No, 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 I, I didn't take it on. You said to me you actually pretended to be the janitor so you could listen into a conversation. Correct. With important client and the salesperson, which was uh, aged, aged by my point of view, probably I was barely 20. So somebody 45 will see like a grandpa <coughs> to me. So, yeah. So I guess that was uh, the trick to, to know they were saying something intelligent. That's, sort of, a, that's, a, that's a sort of scene out of a film, isn't it, really? Are you sure you're, you're, I mean, it's like, it's the sort I of have, thing. You... <laughs> I have a I have a photo and videos to promote this. <laughs> oh, it's amazing! It's amazing. I'm surprised they didn't bring you in as just the entrepreneur, you know, as some other thing. Oh, this is my nephew. He's the, or something like that, rather than do that. Because that's a, that's acting, isn't it? It's like, how did you not open your mouth or or get involved? <laughs> Yeah, it, is, it was interesting because we were pioneering also all the was software. So at the end, we were the only company where you can go to get certain stuff done, at least geographically in a very large area. Many clients end up uh, refusing to work with us, go to other company, which were selling and this other company were coming to us to implement the software. So at the end, I was going to the client and say, look, you're spending more money. You're still working with us at the end of the day. But, uh, you know, I, I cannot blame them. Well, let's face it, you were in a really cutting edge area because in the 90s and the 90s, no one knew what computers could do in the 90s. Everyone thought right. in that uh, yeah, 89, 90, would that have been that sort of era? Yeah, in 1974 myself. So this was already a thing in the 90, 90 yeah. so 1991. Yeah, uh, so, in that so, era, so, that was there was a massive growth phase. Yeah. And that's when I think when I in, in my office, that was when computers started arriving at the desk and you know, few people had them. So yeah, I know yeah. exactly what you mean. It's a, it was an and, and there is a funny, a funny story too, because I, at the time, the legislation were not there yet to protect copyrights 
and things, mostly in Italy. So outside university, there will be this huge photocopy shop that will photocopy any books of any teacher. <laughs> so the one book was sold and all the students would have photocopied the book because it was legal. There was no law that forbid that. When video games came came out for the first on computer, Commodore Amiga, et cetera, et cetera, there was absolutely no law to protect copyright. So uh, piracy wasn't uh, illegal. Uh, and, uh, and the money to make on that was huge. So I was purchasing, I'm talking about I was 14 years old, something like that, purchasing about 10,000 empty floppy disks. I remember like 640 or 670 liras each and selling them for 5,000 or 10,000 lira each with the gaming side. So it, it was a huge amount of money. And the scene was very funny because a lot of kids were coming to my home. I was still living with my parents, obviously. They would ring the bell. Is the Roberto home? They come up, they stay five minutes, they live very happy. I was full of money. My parents thought they were selling drugs because <laughs> what, what would they think <laughs> so much? That interestingly, this shaped my career in the future because it became a rumor in the city until somebody came to me offering me a big deal about drugs. And I was like, what? And I called a police officer that I knew at the time. This guy introduced me to the anti-drug unit. Uh, and I started doing a big job. 50 people got arrested in the operation that I managed to bring in. And after that, I became friends with them. And one day I went to visit them. They were all sitting around the big table with, uh, you know, those uh, printer, uh, dot printer with the hole in the, in the side, you know, yeah. piles of paper like that <clears throat> with a highlighter. And they were calling zero three three five such for numbers. I have it. And so they were highlighting with the colors. What you're doing? And we're going to check who called who between a lot of people calling each other. These are the phone record from the phone company. I said, you're doing by hand, are you nuts? <sighs> so I started the pioneer, all the software for police investigation, all the phone record analysis and things. And there were uh, PMs that were loving me, you know, judges uh, that I can produce all the analysis in very short time, which now is a common to find the software. At the time, there was no such thing. So a bunch of the phone company were delivering only printed format. I had to go there with a computer and import the data from the parallel port of, the, of their system in my computer to have the data to clean up <coughs> and do these things. So I, I was there also. So you're a pioneer last... in cleaning data and, and a pioneer in, in some of this some of the data comparison in law yeah. enforcement. That's amazing. Yeah, that was also a huge part of my career and uh, and time and, and the way to give back to the to my country in a certain way because the the government paid nothing compared to what private people were paying for my services, but still was interesting. No, it, it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. So you left the exciting world of Italy to go to to the US. Yes, um, since I was a little kid, I had an uncle, the, my father's brother, was calling me Little America. I don't know why, for some reason, he had uh, an experience uh, in uh, Boston where he'd been studying there. And I had this thing on my mind always. So when I turned 18, I did my driver license, I did the international driver license. So I think one month and one day is exactly the minimum amount of time you need. I flew and I took an airplane, I arrived in New York. Uh, I had no idea where I was. I got lost. I find myself in a very strange place. But I, I spent at the, at the end uh, like more than a month going around the United States. I got fascinated. I made a lot of friends. So I started flying back and so on and so forth until uh, I was more there than, than in Italy. And, uh, and then I did some consulting with law enforcement there as well. And uh, so... Yeah, I, I love how it. Did you, how did you get connections in the American law enforcement? Did the Italian law enforcement inform or help or...? I, I very bluntly just uh, 
when to knock to the FBI headquarters and you know says, look, I have this capability. There has been a case where from Italy I found a fraud and President Clinton sent me a thank you mail actually at the time because uh, it was uh, the early stage, the first, I think, large fraud online that was uh, that was uh, managed. So much that there was not even uh, like a division in the FBI 40s, but we're just a small office at the White House. That's why the, the news arrived to the to the presidential office very fast. So I got this thank you from the president from the United States for this uh, short investigation. So that was a little bit a door opener <clears throat> when I went there and I started offering, you know, help for, for investigation, whatever. So, certainly, uh, certainly you had a colorful life up to that point in terms of these things, <laughs> haven't you? So uh, yeah. actually, obviously, when you, in the, I mean, going into the States at kind of 18, 19, I guess you were about 20 when you started working with the FBI, were you? So I, I, I did the... Uh, presentation and the consulting didn't really employ. They offered to sponsor a green card to which I refused. I didn't want to have a number there. I preferred to be like a tourist in the long term kind of things. But I had a connection. I spoke often and I did, you know, my thing. So I wouldn't stay there. I worked in term. I was an employee. I go to the office every day. Uh, but I, I, I did. Yeah, I, I was uh, yeah, at that age pretty much. And along with the time, I think the last... Uh, uh, it was a conference uh, uh, organized by an, an NSA, one of the organizations that do, mm. it was uh, in 2004. So that's, that's been something constant uh, in time that I did 2000-2004. I'm guessing life has changed significantly in that industry nowadays and you're, maybe you're not at the cutting yeah, edge of it. Abs- Are you at the cutting edge of it still? No, 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 absolutely. But I found myself in a nice gray area where I could consult for law enforcement because I don't belong to any company that makes this kind of application. Yeah. And I can consult for the company to do the application because I'm not a law enforcement person. So, <laughs> And there are not many people that sit in the place. So for quite some time, I found myself, uh, you know, going and consulting in this, uh, in this situation. There are a lot of conferences around the world that are not public, where only law enforcement, government agency participate and vendor the sell uh, tools mm. for TSGO. So it's a restricted entry. But, uh, you know, I, I've been I've been to many of those things as well. Mm. It's also interesting, you know, that so you're pushed by curiosity. Well, it is, it is interesting, isn't it? It's, it's, it's kind of stepping into the kind of the, the, the kind of make-believe world of Hollywood, isn't it, in some level? It's stepping into the real <laughs> side of that, isn't it, I guess? It's funny because when you see Edward Snowden uh, announce it to the world, a certain amount of tools that were used, I was like, oh, I knew that since a long time. <laughs> but, yeah, well, I guess, I guess. It's it. and, and it's, and I guess you notice that thing in life anyway, because you know, when you think of the things that, I think the things that my phone can do, and I think of the things that you can buy off the shelf and do, you think, so, well, if I can do that, and it's only a few hundred dollars or a hundred pounds to do it, yeah. What has the military got? What technology? What technology is not available that can do that? And it's a, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, a lot of really funny stuff. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm sure. I'm sure. So, okay, so you're in the states. You're you're there more often than not. You're in your twenties, young man, yeah. enjoy, enjoying life. What what else did you do? And well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I was staying in Florida most of the time. So go to the beach, and uh, you know, like. Uh, have friends with Italian restaurants, so eating good food, put on some weight, I guess, uh, because, you know, they need to fit in the United States in a certain way. So. Okay, until, uh, and, until I shifted and uh, I <clears throat> came to Southeast Asia. Honestly, when uh, Bush uh, Jr. got elected a second time, a lot of foreigners left the country because the quality of life really dropped 
in the four year of his administration. So besides the political position wasn't really interesting anymore. So my thought was that China would be the next big power. So I started trying to study Chinese. Then I couldn't learn it. So I thought I go to Singapore where they speak English and Chinese, but probably I'm gonna learn it there. And end up in Singapore for a while. It was boring every weekend. I was flying to Bali in Indonesia. So one day I pack everything and I move to Bali. And I took it easy for a while. And then I start business because at the time I opened together with another guy the first uh, company, just doing website, nothing amazing, but they were the only ones. So all the business in Bali had to come to us. And great business was at the time. Then a lot of immigration arrived, much better people arrived. And, uh, you know, so left that kind of business. And when it happened that uh, decentralization was it already starting to be a thing. So after that, I've been into decentralization. So 15 years, I am uh, an expert energy of uh, all the concern uh, decentralization, which got applied to law enforcement, which got applied to many other things that I did in the past. So say decentralization, did you say? That's correct. So... The other side of uh, cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency is one use case for blockchain or decentralized system. I'm not. All oh, right, finance. we entered. We entered blockchain. I had no. You, you that went over my head completely. So, so okay. Right, right. So you mean decentralization of of um, finance? You're talking about. That's what you entered. You went into. Yeah, decentralization of uh, of uh, intelligent systems. So even um, applications that are decentralized, not, not not just cryptocurrency or finance, which is not really my field, but all the technological underlining that there is, then I, you know, I'm an expert of that and I've been consulting important project uh, was there from day zero. Wow, how do you learn this stuff? I mean, how do you learn? It's not as if you can go to the University of Blockchain, is it? How do you learn? <laughs> no. to... Correct. Uh, even in Italy, when it was my time, even if I wanted, there was no such blockchain, uh, sorry, such university for a computer. Because no. That was too new at the time. So self-learning, even English, I never studied English. English, I spoke it just by reading manuals uh, and try to decode what was written there, watching movies, traveling. And that became a language. I, I studied French in school, which is a blessing because now I can speak French and English as well beside Italian so Europeans you learn languages Brits right. we just don't bother we just don't bother we just talk louder <laughs> <clears throat> so okay so out of all this journey you've given me what was driving you through it what was the passion for you involved why why did you go down these roads a little bit a little bit the universe put those things in front of me at the right time and yeah. so I you know, I, I, I surfed those waves as they came along. Also because I like uh, emerging technologies. I like uh, new things. I like to find solution ideas uh, and implement them in uh, something actionable. So, you know, all those things, you know, developing software for many years, I did software for cutting marble. I did software for plastic surgeons. I did software for archaeologists. And it's interesting when you develop software because you learn so many different things because I learned about archaeology. I learned about uh, plastic surgeon besides seeing a lot of interesting photos in the meanwhile. And, uh, you know, I learned about uh, all the marble industry, which Italy is one big, one big industry. But believe it or not, at the time, there were only two companies in Italy that will sell tools to cut marble. And optimizing the cut of expensive marble is essential. So we came up with super innovative uh, tools as well there. So it is really <clears throat> one, you can master a tool that can speed up uh, processes, 
uh, bring solution, then you can just search where you can apply to and apply to it. And then you make some people happy and they make you happy in back by paying you money. <laughs> you know, so it's very simple, isn't it? <clears throat> and what are you doing today? What's what's your what's your current business? So right, I, I've been in decentralization for uh, quite a lot. So I set up this uh, consultancy company where I to be quite big. Uh, then we were very boutique consulting. So in person between Hong Kong, uh, Singapore, uh, Bangkok, uh, all the Southeast Asia's uh, important places. What is your business, your current business? What is it you're doing now? Right. So, yes. So I set up uh, because at a certain point I was okay to just uh, retire. I was <clears throat> well off in many ways. So I set up this uh, consultancy company because a lot of people was coming to me asking me to do consultancy, to do implementations, which I always been doing. So I said, I need to be able to vouch for somebody else. And there was nobody I could really say, okay, you can go to this person and you're going to find yourself okay. So I thought if I set up the consultancy, probably I can take responsibility to suggest somebody like uh, And uh, it came back to us so much work and so much opportunity that uh, we became like an active business in implementing things. And we were kind of uh, um, consulting, but... Uh, so this very... is... This, so, so I get for, for the sake of my listeners and for me, because I don't understand what you're talking about half of it, right. uh, it's your, your, your decentralization is about applying blockchain to other businesses. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, blockchain is one of the tools that are peer-to-peer -peer okay. networks uh, that uh, can work without being blockchain and, uh, you know, a lot of other aspects. But so, uh, okay, peer-to-peer -peer networks, communication outside of a central, outside of the main... Well, there where there is no central point of failure, <clears throat> central point of management administration. So there where there is a, a network made by many servers, even if you ah. shut one down, everything remains alive. That's the, the, what the beautiful thing about the peer-to-peer -peer networks uh, with protocol that don't depend on one external or one centralized decision. So many services, uh, removing the middleman. So if uh, we transfer money to one in each other, just to make people understand, we couldn't see. In normal case, you go to the bank, you need to trust the bank, the bank need to talk to each other. So it's not a, a direct uh, action between me and you. In a peer-to-peer network, it occurs, I am transferring to you, and there is no middleman. So you can apply these things in... Uh, documentation flow for example all the aspect uh, if you think where there are many parties that need to work together even in different countries so supply chain uh, trade so either you elect one company in one country to manage the document for everybody and everybody need to sign into their rule book or you have a platform think about the phone network right everybody can call everybody else through mm. the system but uh, the the protocol guarantee the quality of the data inside the, the system so I don't need to trust somebody to verify that the protocol itself verified that the data is good. So there are many um, industry uh, that have a, a particular need. So if they are in a consortium, they all can participate in the creation of a system, say coffee production. I did the consultancy for juices. They go from the farmer to the supermarket, they sell them. You want to know where the fruit come from, uh, if uh, everybody respected the rule. <clears throat> so you can use blockchain or peer-to-peer -peer network mix uh, with every system to guarantee every participant, which is uh, even an open way to 
uh, enter the so anybody a new supermarket want to be part of the system I, I, yeah i can now i can see what you mean i can see it, there are mm. some industries where you would really want to know where everything like an aircraft you want to know right. where that part comes from i want to know For example. when that wing dropped off where did the bolt come from who sold Correct. that bolt <laughs> So either you elect somebody to take accounting of all these, yeah. or you have a system where all the participants are part of it, yeah. so you know everything is. And this also applied to video games. In the classic old system in video games, each video game is a world that is closed on its own. Now video games are such that if I buy a sword in a game, I can take it with me and use this same sword in another game. So you need an underlying platform that connect and give all this game a trustworthy <clears throat> source to say this user has this word. And in this way, you can... Uh, because the, the magic things of a blockchain, for example, is uh, the unicity, the singularity in the digital world. Before I had an MP3, I make 10 copy. I don't even know which is the original anymore, the identical copy. But I cannot make a copy of my Bitcoin and give it to you because if I could make a copy of Bitcoin, Bitcoin would be worth zero. Mm. So in the moment that I give you the Bitcoin, I don't have it anymore. So they did the NFT, this big bubble NFT. I can have the guaranteed or unique ownership of one piece of digital data, which is a big revolution because you can apply to the ownership of your car. But NFTs you have there. gone, haven't they? They're not, they're not, they weren't successful, were they? But in the moment that people uh, <clears throat> sell a picture of a monkey for $1 million, that, that makes it uh, silly and uh, it makes a bubble. So under that aspect, thank God they're gone. But the technology mm. that there is, uh, can you imagine, for example, consultancy for a company, I cannot say in what industry they are, but they do parts for machinery that are sold worldwide. I, can imagine, an I can imagine an application where... Um where film or where images of people start to have a tag on them because in the world of ai without that tag that's not me you could it would be a safety it would be a safety feature in terms of to stop to stop like deep faking right in there is the the cryptographic signature that many countries already offer yeah uh, you can be a resident of estonia and with your card, you can cryptographically sign and open a bank account, start a company from remote. I divorced my previous wife with my cryptographic signature given from Italy. So I don't have to be there. I can guarantee that my sister, I don't need to go to a notary to no. notarize my signature. I can, once I do my cryptographic signature, can be me or nobody else. And wow. this is one of the <clears throat> bases of uh, blockchain, the use of it to guarantee identities, uh, to guarantee authorization of uh, transactions right so nobody can send my bitcoin to somebody else oh, it's fascinating world but, fascinating world yeah that's that's an industry which is beautiful because it's embryonal now it's still exploding it still uh, can make so much more and we are at stage zero so now with artificial intelligence that being the big thing of 2023 in 2024 is going to be applied to robotics and applied to software and the, the need also of guarantees that the you send the correct instruction to, and then you guarantee that it's you and not somebody. This can be done through cryptography, which is one of the tools of uh, uh, blockchain or decentralization, peer-to-peer -peer networks and so on. This is just going to exponentially increase our demand for processing power, isn't it? Not really. It depends. You know, the increase of demand of processing power, this is a good point. Good point you make, a good question. I start coding in a computer that had three kilobytes of memory. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now computer have gigabytes. Giga are 
Oh, thousands no. of thousands, okay? Mm. Thousands multiplied by thousands of kilobytes. And the clock, so the speed of the processor, it was three hertz. And now we have a gigahertz, right? Yeah. There. So at the time, you need to write code uh, without making a single mistake because uh, one mistake, one useless instruction slow downs everything a lot. Today, computers are so powerful. There are so many incapable software developers. They write such bad code, but because the computer is so powerful, it's going to run anyway. So the quality of programming uh, is decreased because there is no need to be good in optimizing code. So the the request of processing power is, uh, unless we're talking about training artificial intelligence model, which is all uh, things on itself, but uh, in general, it's just because of uh, bad coding, <laughs> not because of... Yeah, uh, but I was thinking that if everything starts to have a, a blockchain or some kind of, uh, some kind of um, authenticity, oh, tag, uh, authenticity tag to it... Because you're thinking about the consumption of electricity of Bitcoin. Because oh, not Bitcoin. Really. No, not necessarily. But I'm thinking about like, like, all right. So at the moment we have this, I mean, for me, I like AI, but I mm -hmm. can see real problems with it in terms of um, if you could create deep fake an image of someone, so you could ruin a career of someone by, and I mean, it's done already, but make it really, you know, I mean, you can already... As a podcaster, I can already get software that allows me to fill the gaps in in a in a in, a, in an interview. Mm -hmm. Once that becomes even better, you could then create the flipping interview. So you know, absolutely. Who says right? who says this, who says this me is me? Maybe well, I'm precisely, just yeah. Brother, well, yeah. Well, precisely. You could. Create, I'm sure you are you. I'm pretty pretty convinced. <laughs> but you know, I mean, you could create the interview. So therefore, I could now bring on you know a, this politician and have an inter, create an interview with this politician absolutely. and completely create this fabrication using AI. Now, if that politician had a unique tag that any time you filmed him, that tag had to be on his material, then you would instantly know that that's genuine. And this Correct. is deep fake. But, but the, this, processing this around, the processing around that must be huge. No, 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 absolutely not. I guarantee you that is uh, can be done also by hand if you have a few hours to do the mathematics. All absolutely right. not uh, not uh, consumption of, of power compared to creating the deep fake, which is actually more more demanding in terms of processor and GPU. No, no, cryptography, thanks God, is one of the <laughs> things that... Uh, consume the less is hard to understand well but uh, can be done even with an old nokia phone matter of fact they do it because the JSON protocol is uh, encrypted mm. so uh, the decryption system requires very little processing mm. or cryptographic signature stamping very little what in blockchain has given a bad name is the way the bitcoin protect the blockchain with the hashing and the greed of people in taking those coins but there's a singular case of a uh, Bitcoin and what is called proof of work blockchain, it doesn't apply to all the blockchain. It's just uh, imagine it's like to 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 consider that all the train in the world are trained to go with the charcoal and uh, you know boiling water. As of today, there are trains that absolutely are just electric and uh, you know and consume very little. <coughs> so Bitcoin had the issue, still has this issue. But doesn't represent every decentralized. System. But there's been a lot of shakeout, haven't there, in the crypto world? I mean, there's lots of lots of duff currencies now, haven't there? Yeah, absolutely. People jump on those chains <clears> you know, as much so, as they so can. So, where's it going to go, Mister Mister Chris? Using your crypto crystal ball, where do you think it's going to go? I think that uh, in terms of decentralizing, we are living in uh, the information uh, 
era, right? So we were uh, in the age of industrialization. Now we're in the age of uh, information. So we start digitizing content, transmitting content, validating content, and some actors centralized thing. If you think about mail server, at day zero, everybody had the mail server in their office. Now mm. everybody used Gmail. So we, we let them control the full thing. We are moving toward a re-decentralization of things now. And this is the direction we're going, we like it or not. Even artificial intelligence should be decentralized. Now, ChatGPT is in control in data center by a few people. So it should be you know, healthy if it was decentralized and nobody can control the whole thing, right? Like in the peer-to-peer -peer network with synapses that are really geographical synapses, right? And where we're going, cryptocurrency is a fun thing. Now the government in the United States recognize uh, uh, the possibility of investing in uh, Bitcoin. Uh, so it's getting accepted mostly because you cannot stop technology. <laughs> technology keeps increasing. And when somebody, something is not controlled centrally, you know, tomorrow they can change the software of our iPhone to do things or not because it's centralized. But nobody can change how Bitcoin works because it has to be everybody <clears throat> agreeing to that. So, so I, I wonder if a, if, a, if a government will ultimately start a, a cryptocurrency of their own. I mean, do, do you think the, you know, the Bank of England will end up with Bank of England pounds, and you know, which is a cryptocurrency? Yeah. They are doing this, but it's not working the same way that uh, Bitcoin works. So they I, will I know, have indeed. all the means to control it, yes. But there are many governments that are doing this, yes. I think uh, one, you don't get rid of uh, cash, which is an important tool is a useful means to have uh, the possibility to keep some of your money in an electronic format. We do it already at the bank. When you look at your statement yeah. in the bank, you don't look to your real money or gold ingots. You look at some numbers out of a computer. Well, 97% of all money is in the bank, isn't it? Most of 97 right, only 3% only actually circulates in coins. So. so it's like people is all suddenly afraid that rather than the private bank is the central government for some yeah. reason. I, I would trust it more. Honestly, then some I heard, it's, I heard it somewhere. There are more. There are more hundred dollar bills in circulation outside the US than there are inside the US. Absolutely, because they are the main transaction of dirty money. <laughs> but it is cultural too. When I was in the United States, I always go with five hundred dollar, thousand dollar cash in my wallet because you know I want to be ready to you know I I have a need of an hospital, whatever. Yeah. And when I open my wallet to pay something, people are like. Why you have to smooth this money? It's my money. The only criminal level of this cash, you know, like, uh, well, because I come from Europe where at the time cash was, you know, normal. You don't use yeah. credit card. There was no such thing. And uh, and there was already seen as a bad thing to have a lot of cash with you. And I think uh, probably, you know, we're going to move uh, to a world where everybody pays with a cell phone. Is already happening now. Well, it is. My um, son doesn't use yeah. cash at all. My son is 21 and he, See, he uh, is, he's his phone totally, so... I'm a father of four. The oldest is 32. The youngest is three years old. Oh, nice. Oh. <laughs> but two, the two middle are 15 and 13. And it's a huge problem because when I was the age, I have my cash, I go out, I buy pizza, I go out with my friend. Now life is mostly online. But at the age, they are not legally authorized to have a bank account, a credit card in their name, a PayPal account in their name, because you need to be 18 or more. So how they can operate if not by creating fake accounts and pretending to be uh, or you know is is uh, is a very strange uh, moment I, because i thought uh, banks allowed my, my son had a had a tap card a card that he could use or a, a, 
Now, now in this country where I'm living now. Okay, he, no, had, yeah. he had that from the age of about 11, that he had a card that he could do. I mean, we had no money in it, or only a little bit, but he could, oh. he could use it if he needed to. All right, now, so there are countries where I arrive at 14 or 15, uh, the banks, uh, but under the signature of the father. So pretty much uh, right. is the parent name, and then okay. they have just another name, but they're not okay. independent with their money. And, you know, and so... So cash that, is it, or, or they're in trouble, they're not, they can't use cash, uh, yeah? Or crypto, yes, in fact. Yeah, 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 yeah. wow. <laughs> Interesting world we live in. So uh, I better move us on. I'm enjoying this conversation so much, I've got all sorts of sidetracked, which is, which is <laughs> classic of me to get sidetracked. So tell me, what is... How do you define success? Because, you know, when you were 18 and stuff, like success was a bit of code, it was, it was women, it was all sorts of things. But as we get older, success changes. So what is it? I mean, mm. you sound as though you're still quite motivated by money, but is that big for you still? You know, um, <clears throat> I was born in a middle-class family. I mm. had issue with my parents. Uh, consider if my older son is 32, means I had it when I was 17. So probably wasn't a very good event in the family. So I had my issues. So I was by myself a lot. And I went through a situation where, you know, money was necessary to eat yes. so and uh, when you leave that side you want to always be at least okay and they're excited to be okay like my family born uh, 10 to fifteen thousand dollars a month between all the expenses so you want to make sure that you provide <laughs> that uh, in the long term and that's a good motivator to run a business and make uh, uh, good money but for sure money is not the motivator meaning I don't feel successful if I have a $5 million in the bank rather than not. The success is being content. I think at the end of the day is uh, your kids love you. You have time to spend with your spouse, with your family. Uh, you do something that leave an impact in society. Uh, you do something good. Uh, you can go to sleep happy. You know, uh, you don't have regrets. You, mm. I don't have a situation where I can say, ah, I should have done, I should have. No, I know that I always did the best I could. I always did what was, uh, you know, that I think is right uh, in good faith. Mm. And, uh, you know, this is the situation of success. The day that you say, I want to live another 100 years. But if I had to die tomorrow morning, it's fine. Because I know my life is fantastic. has been fantastic until today. So this is, uh, I think, the the top where you want to you wanna see not, nothing left undone or halfway there. Nice, nice. So that brings me nicely onto that idea of contribution, because obviously we, we live in this world and we, we, there is, we have to kind of do something in the world. How do you define your contribution to the world? The innovation in technology. I think I, I put invested. I also created a lot of other leaders. A lot of people that have been working with me got motivated. They arrived with the fear of even being employed and got at the end motivated to start their own business, their own company. So that's something that gives a satisfaction that is incredible. I will never show one of them as a competitor or, you know, there are people that misbehave. You know, you realize in the world there is good and bad people everywhere you go, that there's nothing to do. You cannot change them, avoid them if possible. But, uh, you know, not bring anger. Don't be upset in long term because it doesn't help in any way. And, uh, you know, empower other people and make everybody happy that's the best contribution you can give somebody can create a piece of software or uh, an invention or something that can make a huge difference in the long term for humanity you know that for is what motivates elon musk at the end of the day right i think uh, be able to bring 
humans in another planet, uh, dig holes to go from one place to another super fast, you know, as a service for others, an electric car for pollution and whatever it is. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, yeah, his motivation is uh, Elon is Elon and you either like him or not, but his motivation is what he is. Um, yeah. I'm not quite sure why he took over Twitter, though. That still, that still puzzles, puzzles me. <laughs> There is, there is a, two explanations. One financial, because he could declare a loss in order not to be responsible for gains in other companies when they're private, you can exchange these two things. So purchasing something and losing a lot of money gives you a lot of space for not having to pay for increase of revenue in other companies. So this is one too. There is some people speculate is the reason. Others say it's because of free speech and he wants to maintain free speech. It's true that most of the media platform were absolutely deviated into one political direction from Facebook and all of those. And Twitter was one big aspect. With 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 Elon Musk, the difference of what people say in Twitter is... Uh, radical compared to before maybe it seems on the other side too much now but uh, uh, it is interesting that uh, he claims to have done this uh, not for money but for love of humanity then you know go on there <laughs> yeah okay well jury's out on that one we'll see how it goes <laughs> so how do you contribute to yourself uh, uh, just by being happy for others, I should work a little bit more on, uh, you know, taking care of myself more. I just put on a lot of weight. I should sleep more, I sleep very little and uh, stop and meditate. Uh, but I like to do things that give me satisfaction. I, I Even if some, for example, I purchase a lot of gadgets that are totally useless, but just for the pleasure of having them. And I purchase a couple of two or four of pieces. And I know it's wrong, but you know I, I like it, yeah, so no, I do it for myself. No, there's no wrong. It's just whatever, whatever, whatever you do, you choose. It's, just, <laughs> it's like you know, it's a judgment there, isn't it? There's no judgment in this. Yeah, but it's, it's judgment I do to myself. So that's okay. why. That's you know. So sometimes I say, ah, but you know, I I like to break the rule also because it's something I enjoy. So that's okay. yeah, yeah. It's like you know, we we each we each on this journey. It's our journey. We choose to do it how we do it, and and that's the point. You see, I mean, but. Uh, and what I have found, because I've done 500 of these conversations, what I have found is that people that have a, a system or a process for their own, um, uh, their own self-well, well-being, they seem to be happier, but you seem to be happy regardless. So does it matter? I mean, you know, if, if you can be happy with what you're doing, it doesn't matter. That's it. It's fine. Yeah, it seems that the word uh, split into the, there was a very beautiful TED talk by this British guy that at a certain point says that uh, for certain kind of people, the body is just a mean of transportation for the brain around. There's nothing else. Is uh, you know depends where uh, the pleasure is based. You know there is people that if they don't look perfect physically, uh, there is people that and I have friend that is incredible. They, they lose their hair. I see your hairstyle, for example, and is accepted, right? There is people that go nuts. They need to put a wig. They need to put a patch on. Else, uh, desperation. So it's really, really individual. And go wonder what happened in their childhood. The two arrive at not to accept themselves the way they are. Yeah. And uh, for some people, it's more psychological. For others, it's more physical. Uh, I, I guess that uh, a balance between the two should be the best thing. And no, you know, 
I guess, um, yeah, I guess that's it really. It's, it's, it's about how we feel about it and whether we're prepared to, to you know, to, to take the consequences of our actions. You know, so, so right. we know, I know, I, I know people who drink too much and they are, they are happy drinking too much. And it's like, a little smoking. Or yeah. Anything. And I, and I kind of go, well, you know, you, there are consequences to the action. Yeah. I know the consequences to the action and, you know, I don't like them, but I do enjoy drinking. So it's like, I know, I, you know, I can see the difference. And each of us is on a journey on this. That's the point. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. You know? Yeah. I agree. I agree. It's, it's yeah. really a choice at the end of the day. And it I, is a choice. That's the point. It definitely is a choice. Until it doesn't affect other people. So, for example, when my kids were born, I stopped using motorcycle because I said, if I have an accident, who is there for them? Mother of, yeah, the mother of the second or the third one, they left and uh, she left the kids with me. So I found myself uh, with a five and a seven years old, uh, a single father. And uh, even I stopped going upstairs because they said, if I fall down the stairs when I go down and something happened to me, who's going to take care of the kids, you know? So I really became super conscious of making sure I'm okay because if I am not okay, I, I am, you know, being in a foreign country with no family around, you know, just mm. some friends, you know, uh, is really a hundred percent on me. So on the on the state on the case now they're older. I start going on motorcycle again. <laughs> now well, now you have a three year old. So you have to think about it again. <laughs> <laughs> but there is my there is my wife also. That's good. <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's good. So tell me, what is the the final question I have with people really is is this idea of con of um, meaning? What's mm -hmm. it all for? Why do we do uh, this? See. Um, my father was very philosophical, and since I was a little kid, uh, he was telling me, like, look, you think I'm all bigger than you, you're smaller than me? The planet Earth is less than a grain of sand in the universe. We are nothing. We don't even exist. So what is the meaning of a life of a person if he's nothing inside the full universe, right? And yet, if you go in the other direction, is a full galaxy, is a full universe for, uh, you know, more inside stories that we have. I think somebody, when, when I meet somebody on the road, I look at them and I think how many stories there are inside this person, how many adventure, how many desperation, how many cries, how many laugh. And each of us is a universe of emotions, of, uh, of life experience, good, bad, et cetera, et cetera. So we all have a huge amount of meaning. <laughs> inside and in a society because we are all part of a common uh, uh, species we're all humans we should you know be together to to be sure that we are good with each other and we're better for the planet we live in it's not always like this but i think the ultimate meaning is a society so i feel compelled to have kids because we need to go ahead we need to make sure that the world tomorrow can be possibly better we need to educate in order to get in the direction. My life, you know, I'm already 50, which already reached a good goal. I hope I die 120 or maybe 300 if technology is going to help me at the time to live forever. But uh, it's nothing, remains nothing, you know, uh, compared to the history of the, of the planet uh, that we are in, uh, compared to the history of the universe. So it depends how we look at it. We can give a lot of meaning to a moment. And we can give no meaning to eternity, you know, so. Interesting, interesting. So do you think you, will you ever go for upload? Will you ever be uploaded? Nah, I, I watch all the Black Mirror series. <laughs> <quite fascinating>. <laughs> <laughs> and and also the, the other one uh, about the 
the wife of the guy, the husband killed, just to put it inside the, the upload, the, the download, what it was, the movie that was in Yes, Amazon. uploaded. I think, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, that uh, artificial intelligence uh, is going to close this gap between the human brain and the machines. Uh, we're pushing it, uh, we, I mean, it's being pushed so, so much to the extreme. I already had some very weird experience just using ChatGPT. Very, very strange. Something shouldn't have happened. And uh, you wonder when we are there. You know, sorry if I go into this thing, but no, I'm no, fascinated. When I, I, I mean, being born in Italy, I'm a, I was a Catholic. I'm Hindu now because by law, you need to be some religion when you marry in Bali. So I converted to Hindu. So before I was atheist, I didn't believe in one God. Now I'm atheist, I don't believe in many. Gods, but uh, <laughs> born in Italy, uh, you know, Catholic is no choice, was the only option at the time. So I had to go to mass, and it was the most boring thing for me because I really, being scientist as a mind, I'm not talking, I was a little kid. And to, to make time pass, it's 45 minutes only per week that they ask out of you. But uh, I was staring at people until people turn around because they feel observed. To me, it is uh, because I, I love telecommunication since I was a little kid. That's why I do phone hacking and a lot of things. And then, you know, peer-to-peer -peer network it all goes in the direction. But the idea that I have the power to make somebody turn around because they feel observed means that our brain is capable of something that we are not aware of. And we make somebody oh some then they had the deja vu experience how would i know that the car was going to come out from there you know uh, how can i see it is few seconds <clears throat> in the future how does it work uh, somebody started questioning chat gpt and asking chat gpt to do the same things it says if this is a brain this is a brain capable also of doing these strange things that uh, as human we cannot explain but we do right and uh, and the outcome has been quite quite interesting because you would expect the computer to have certain limit, but not to actually produce some result. So I'm wondering if uh, this artificial intelligence, this uh, model, these synapses that are there, arrive to a point that they connect to humans. So that, that's what is the interface will go outside of the simple monitoring keyboard, but it's really telepathetic. <clears throat> uh, it's going to be fascinating to see where that goes, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's not going to take many years. So that's that's something that uh, we're going to all witness uh, uh, because it's a matter of uh, two, three, four, five years. So it is uh, it is uh, historically a moment that is very, very particular. Probably is going to change all the answer to the question you've been asking, what's the meaning and what is, uh, you know. <clears throat> I, I don't think it will ever change the meaning because I think the meaning is relative to the person who is expressing it. I don't think there is any meaning. There's no meaning to life other than the meaning you choose to give it. Unless we discover something we don't know, so we're going to possibly well, change. Well, the point, all right, meaning is about, is about non-absolutes, isn't it? It's about things that cannot be proved. Yeah, let's say, let's <clears> say <throat> I, I, there was a nice movie of this hero that uh, accidentally found himself next to an airplane crash and he saves 50 people out of the airplane and then walks away. He was a bum on the road, right? Probably the meaning of his life has changed for that experience, right? <clears throat> so what his opinion was, what is important, uh, what is essential, what is the good that you can do, what is uh, you need to be compelled to do because it's a human aspect of doing it, right? And uh, um, exposing ourselves to certain uh, 
experience. We, we are mutating every second of our life. We're changing, right? But a drastic thing can change drastically how we think. So mm-hmm. even the meaning of life, probably, which is, uh, you know, like uh, the big question the Monty Python made a movie about <laughs> and asking this question, right, can be something that uh, when uh, you are exposed to certain truth that you had no idea until the day before, probably change the way we think. I don't know. It, it is a I, well, I, well, this is a great discussion. But it's, it's this thing about, at the moment, the meaning of life for, for the people I've spoken to over the last six mm-hmm. years tends to go from one direction of God to the other direction of no God. And people so to be. either either God exists or God doesn't exist. So either there is a, there is a mm. creator or there's not a creator. That's what it mm. seems. And everybody will talk about it from on that line somewhere. They're not um. saying no God or God, but that's what they are doing because they're saying, oh, I believe in love or I believe in in freedom. They're believing in some aspect of what we would probably have called God many years ago. Mm, okay. Right. So that's where they are. Now, the thing is, if suddenly someone comes along and proves the existence of the creator, right, then suddenly the whole concept of meaning is now changed because we now have a creator. There you go. Perfect. Exactly what I meant. Or, or vice versa. Or prove that there is no so, such thing. Yeah. So, or prove there's no such thing. Yes. Uh, uh, so if, if, if ChatGBT or its, you know, its successor proves that, then the whole concept of humanity or what we believe in will shift. Absolutely. It's the same if, if, if aliens landed tomorrow. That would change everything. And I often wonder, what would humanity do? Would we declare war on them instantly to get rid of them? <laughs> but for, for sure, humanity would unite. Because at the point the as and them change from uh, something internal to something external. Yeah. Yeah. He has already been used in the, in the past to, to create, uh, to manipulate yeah. people, right? So, yes, of course, because that's what the, the, the original Catholic Church did that. I mean, it literally took over the whole, sort of the whole of Europe. This is it. This is, we're all together. One story. <laughs> <laughs> it is fascinating, this stuff. And I love this Absolutely. conversation. Love this, I love this conversation. Likewise. Well, so, look, we're coming to our end of our time together. And it's been a lovely journey. Thank you so much, Roberto. I've really enjoyed sharing your life with me. Thank you for this. Yes. So, uh, uh, what is it that you want to get out of this podcast? Do you want people to come to talk to you? Or what is it you're looking to get from, from this conversation? I think what we just did was what I was looking for, a beautiful okay. conversation. So if people, want to talk, if people want to talk to you, what would they do? Is there a <laughs> website? Is, what, is it, what is it? How do people get in touch with you? Stalk me online. I mean, like, uh, for sure. I mean, I am in LinkedIn. I am in uh, uh, various social media. Uh, X now, no more Twitter. But uh, indeed, uh, uh, somebody want to have a conversation. I have my own uh, podcast as well. So I, I host... Uh, uh, conquest something to educate people not to fall for online scams or for financial scams or for uh, phone scams and so on interviewing youtubers uh, and other people that work for this goal um if he's of interest to somebody <laughs> nice nice i'd forgotten you were a podcast host thank you for reminding me that's a good yeah. service that's a good service that you offer well, look, Roberto, it's been such a joy to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time here. I'm, I will put links that you gave me onto the show notes sure so people can find you. So you can certainly find Roberto online if you, if you want to look, or you can check out the show notes at lifepassionandbusiness.com. All that remains to say, thank you so much. All the best. Thank you. For-
Thank you for having me. Cheers. And that was Life, Passion and Business with Paul Harvey and my guest, Roberto Capodieci. If you'd like to connect with Roberto, he's a lovely guy, worth a conversation. You can find him on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find him on YouTube. You can find a link tree at capodieci.link. And I'll spell that for you. C-A-P-O-D-I-E-C-I dot link. Um, and all those links will be available at the website lifepassionandbusiness.com. So do check them out. Okay, as I mentioned at the beginning, now is the time to discover how to find some more focus in your life and get things done. Okay, so we're all looking to move forward. We all want to find some measure of success in the world. And if you've heard the podcast, you know I have a view of success, but that's another conversation. The point is, however you look at this, we want to get things done. You might want to get a project over the line. You might have a really big goal that you're looking to to move, to move forward on. And the problem is... Whenever we start these projects, whenever we do anything like this, there's always some resistance. There's always something that gets in the way. And that can be a multitude of things. And, but the key to this is how do we retain focus and stay with the project and push it over the line? And that's where focus coaching can help. Now, it's a, it's a process that I discovered some 15 years ago during my coach training. And it's something sometimes called focus coaching, turbo coaching, speed coaching. And it's a really simple process where we, we define what it is you're trying to achieve. And we look at the resistance that you're experiencing in that achievement. Come up with some strategies to solve that resistance. Commit to setting a date and I hold your feet to the fire to make sure that you do that. So there's a commitment, there's an accountability process and that's it. That's basically how it works. You get it done. And I can tell you it is so powerful when you start working in this way, particularly when you work with someone who supports you in the process of doing it. And one thing to remember, you know, success is never guaranteed, but the struggle always is. And that's what this coaching is designed to do. It's designed to get you through the struggle towards the success you're looking for. So do check out the uh, link in, on this podcast or at the website, lifepassionandbusiness.com. You will find a video of me again explaining this process. But if you go below the video, there's a booking link where we'll have a discussion about your project and how we could get you sorted. As always, if you have enjoyed this podcast, if you found anything here of any use, please share it with a friend because that's how people like yourself find good podcasts. If you can, give us a review. Give us a five-star review. I have to ask for five stars. Why not? I think I'm worth it. When you support a podcast in that way, you have no idea how effective it is, both in terms of supporting us on the platform, but it also makes us feel good. Yes, it makes me feel good, and I like to feel good. As always, thank you for your time and attention. I will catch you next time.